morning. Father in heaven, we come to you. We give you thanks for your truth, your word. We give thanks for your mercy and grace to us that we uh, may know you and walk with you and uh, that you give meaning to our lives that we live to honor our Savior. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us understanding by your spirit this morning. May you open our hearts and direct our thoughts. We ask for your grace and mercy right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Among the uh, Church of Jesus Christ today, there is uh, a lot of confusion, um, a lot of um, just, just people that depend on uh, supposedly on the gifts of the Spirit and the experiences that they have, and uh, they think that by this they become a spiritual Christian. And uh, because of the confusion on this, I'm going to uh, speak this morning on what is a spiritual Christian. What does it mean to be a spiritual Christian? In Isaiah, God says, in Isaiah 1:18, he says, "Come now and let us reason together," says Yahweh. In Acts 17 verse 2, we read what happened when Paul went to Thessalonica. It says this in Acts 17:2, "And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and where he went was to the synagogue of the Jews. He went to them. And for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. To reason, to reason you must deal with what is rational. You have to use your mind. In this case, they were looking into the word of God and using rational argument to demonstrate truth. And Paul would reason with them, reason with these Jewish people who knew the Old Testament. And they had to use their minds. And today we want to use our mind. We want to reason together. I want to engage our minds today as we consider what God says in his word. So I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to ask the question, what is a spiritual Christian? In many cases, this seems to be a foggy issue. We don't really know what we mean by a spiritual person. Someone has suggested it has become another way of saying a Pharisee, a hypocrite, a self-righteous person. And what we want to do today is we want to see what does God say? How does God define a spiritual person? I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. It says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God. What does this verse say that we've been given? The spirit who is from God. In, in, if you drop down to verse 14, it says, But a natural man does not accept the depths of the Spirit of God. 
for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually examined. So the question is, what is a natural man? And the answer is, the person without the Spirit of God. This is the in-Adam man, a person who has not been transformed by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. He has not been born of God. He does not have the Holy Spirit. The natural man does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are, the Bible says here, they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned or understood or examined. Here's the contrast. Look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians 2.15 But he who is spiritual, and this is our word, he who is spiritual examines all things, yet he himself is examined by no one. So we look at this phrase, but he who is spiritual. What is a spiritual person? The natural man, Paul says, cannot understand, but the spiritual one can. Why? What is the difference? Well, if we look back at verse 12, we read, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And here's, the, here's what happens when we have the Spirit of God. So that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God. The difference is that one has the Spirit of God and one does not. A spiritual person is one who has been born of God, whose life has been transformed by God's Spirit. Such a person is spiritual because he has God's Spirit. To be spiritual means to have the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Who has the Holy Spirit? Those who are born of God. Elsewhere, Paul says this in uh, the same book, 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, for the word of the cross, that is the gospel, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So there's the difference. There's the natural man viewing the cross of Christ, viewing the gospel, and there's the spiritual man viewing the gospel. To one it is foolishness, but to the other it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, we preach Christ crucified, there's the gospel again, to Jews a stumbling block. To Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are the called, here's the spiritual ones, the ones that are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Listen to Paul in Romans 8. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 5 to 9. For those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. 
and those who are in the flesh are not able to please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So what does this mean? That means that when we come to Christ and turn to him and are born from above, born of God, his Spirit comes into our lives. We have the Holy Spirit who has transformed our hearts and we now begin to be able to understand and appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ. To belong to Christ is to have the Spirit of Christ. Notice that those who are according to the flesh, Paul says, are the same as those whom Paul calls the natural man in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. These according to the flesh people are hostile to God. They don't submit to God's law, and they're not even able to do so. They're not able to please God. They have no heart for God's ways and God's word. God's word to them is all foolishness. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are not in the flesh any longer. If we look up at verse 9 a while ago in Romans 8, however, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Those who are born of God are spiritual because the Holy Spirit lives in them. He has transformed them. He has made them a new creation in Christ Jesus. Biblically speaking, the title of this message, What is a Spiritual Christian, is a redundancy. It should say, What is a Spiritual Person? Because a Christian is spiritual by definition. That is a true believer. Of course, we have many Christians who are not Christian. So we talk about a spiritual Christian. But it's really a, a redundancy because biblically speaking, a Christian is a spiritual person. Usually, we don't use the term spiritual in this way. Um, that is to define a true Christian. We usually are thinking of something else. When somebody says a spiritual Christian, we're thinking in terms of something else. In terms of what kind of a life do they live? You know, how, does, how, how are they living? That's what we usually think about. And Paul also talks about that. And so we're going to look at that. The life lived by a spiritual person. A spiritual person, one who has the Holy Spirit, should be responding in a certain way. That is, a way like the Holy Spirit would respond or live. That is, a transformed life. Spiritual people live a spiritual life, a life dominated by the Holy Spirit. Or do they? Do they really? When one becomes a Christian and is given a new nature... A desire for God, a desire to please God, to love Him, he faces great opposition. Opposition from the world system around him. Society. The philosophy of society. Religion of society. The view of life of society. The whole world system is in opposition to him. Uh, it's opposed to God. 
and it's opposed to God's ways. That world system is simply the product of society expressing the desires of their flesh under the thumb and direction of demonic forces to whom they are subject. So that's what we face in society. A demonic system, uh, uh, peoples uh, who are under the thumb of de demonic forces and uh, uh, who are expressing those uh, ideas in the way that they live. So though the Christian has a new nature, uh, he also is he's facing the world system, but he also faces the problem of his own flesh. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil that are in opposition to us in living a godly spiritual life, in living a life that is, uh, that is being led by the Spirit of God. We face our own Adamic nature, the nature that we have received from Adam, from our forefather. Um, we will not lose that nature until we are with the Lord. Though we have a new nature, we have our old nature still to deal with. It's pulling us away from faithfulness to the Lord. And we all know what that war in our hearts is all about. We know that because we all face that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read these verses. Paul talks about people in the church who have, are facing this war. And here's what he says. And I, brothers, was not able to speak to you as to spiritual, and here's our word, spiritual. I was not able to speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to fleshly men, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, but not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are still not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? This is the natural man he's talking about. He says, I can't speak to you as to spiritual. He had to address them as, what do we call this? I'm not sure what you'd say. Barely Christian? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Barely Christian. They were living like the natural man, non-Christians. I think Paul was being gracious to them, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Notice he does call them here in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, and I brothers. He calls them brothers. He also calls them infants in Christ in that same passage. Brothers, and then he calls them infants in Christ. Apparently, he has not written them off as still pagan. Later, in his second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 13, verse 5, he does tell them to test themselves to see if they know Christ, if they're really Christians. Because their conduct was not that of a spiritual person. So what was their problem? Well, 
They had no heart for God's word. In verse 2, Paul says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Not yet able to receive God's truth? Wow. Indeed, even now you are still not able, for you are still fleshly. There was a distinct insensibility or lack of interest in God's word, God's truth, doctrine. They weren't interested. They were worldly. They acted like non-Christians. They didn't obey God's word. Not only were they not ready for solid food, but it appears to me they weren't really too into the milk either. That's what it sounds like. Paul could not speak to them as spiritual people. And what was the key problem? They had no heart for God's word. And of course, they didn't obey it. And if you don't obey, it shows you have no heart for it. If you don't want to live the life that a spiritual Christian lives, then, you're going, then, then you are going to, uh, if you have no heart for it, then you're not going to live it. If you don't obey, it shows you have no heart. If you want to live the life that a spiritual Christian lives, then you are going to love God's word. You're going to receive God's word. You're going to obey God's word. So being a spiritual person is the position of all believers. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you are a spiritual person. But these people were not spiritual in their lifestyle, in their practice. If they were believers, they weren't living who they were. If they were believers, they were not living who they were. Not living a spiritual life. One writer says this, Because they refused to give up their worldly ways and their carnal desires, they became what James calls forgetful hearers. James 1.25 Living as a spiritual person means living out a transformed life, that new creation of the Holy Spirit in you. The new you. That life blossoms out in a willingness to receive the word of God and your heart's desire and your way of living then becomes conformed to God's will. It means that God's word is central and following it is your heart's desire. This, very base, this, this is very basic and practical. We are, by definition, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are spiritual people. Do we live as spiritual people? That's the question. Uh, this, is, this is very basic. Being a spiritual person isn't something mystical, something foggy that you have to grope around in the dark after, some experience you have to have. Some people think it's, you know, to be a spiritual person, you have to have certain gifts of the Spirit and various experiences. No, no. It's to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and then following the Holy Spirit in the way that you live. So how do we live in a way that pleases God? That's the question. Paul answers this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, Galatians 5, 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If you walk, walking means to live, to conduct your life, by the Spirit, you will what? Be quenching the flesh and obeying God. This is spiritual living. Again, this is not some mystical thing that's hard to understand. It's very practical. What does the Spirit do? He causes us to love God's Word and enables us to obey it. This is a step-by-step, moment-by-moment acceptance of God's Word and obeying it. So submit to the Holy Spirit. He wants us in the Word, obeying the Word of God. Spiritual living is simply obeying God's Word. But we do have some big problems. We have the opposition of the world, our own flesh, and satanic forces that oppose us. There's a strong inclination in us to go our own way, to follow our own fleshly desires, just like these Corinthians. We are in the body, the flesh, and we find there's a great war that goes on within us. Last week, I gave you the illustration of a ball on an inclined plane. And the natural tendency for that ball, if left to itself, is downhill every time. And we discussed that last week about the institutions and organizations and churches that invariably will go downhill, away from truth. And the only way to oppose that is by keeping in the Word of God and keeping that ball going up. And it comes down to us personally. It's not just some institution out there. It's us. We are the ones. Because institutions are no more than us, people. And the ball must be pushed up. Today I have another illustration. And uh, this is the illustration. This is just a little four-inch long piece of plastic. And unfortunately, because of the... I, don't, I can't really demonstrate this. You'll have to take my word for it. Afterward, come up and you can uh, do it yourself with this thing. This, this little, for lack of a better word, I'll just call it a gizmo. This gizmo has been designed to go one way only, and that is counterclockwise. That's the only way it'll go. If I spin it clockwise, you know what it'll do? It will, in the midst of going clockwise, it will stop and turn around and go the other way. Now, you've never seen an object do that, have you? <laughs> this is a unique little object. And it appears to violate one of the laws of the conservation of angular momentum. And I will simply tell you it's because of the shape and the distribution of mass in this thing that causes it. If you spin it clockwise, follow the law of God, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, it will always stop and turn around and go counterclockwise. So I use this as an illustration of our flesh. This is an illustration of the heart of man. We will always go downhill. We'll always go against the truth. And so, to, and I, you know, it's an imperfect um, 
illustration because to, to, to really be a good illustration, it would need to have two natures, right? <laughs> this is the fleshly nature, and it does not have uh, a spiritual nature. Uh, it, it, it's, I can't get it to go uh, clockwise. If you uh, uh, tell a kid, uh, Johnny, this is no touch. What does he immediately want to do? Touch. God told the Israelites, here's the commandments. You know, oh yeah, everything the Lord says we'll do. What did they do? No, they didn't do it. It's just, <laughs> the sin nature is so strong in us, it always wants to go counterclockwise. So afterward, if you want to come and take a look at how it works, um, uh, you, you're welcome to do that. We often fall, give way to our sinful nature. It's a great grief to us, but we confess. We have to confess our sin to the Lord and get up and go again. We're in need of constant forgiveness and cleansing. We keep heading toward obedience to the Lord. All the while, the Holy Spirit is at work in us through our troubles, our failures, to sanctify us, to make us like the Lord Jesus. He brings to light our sin, and the more we grow, the more we realize how corrupt and sinful we really are. But here's the good news. We are a forgiven people and recipients of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So let us pursue living like Christ, a spiritual life. God wants us to be a spiritual people, living out who we are. Positionally, we are spiritual. Practically, let's be spiritual as well. Now, there are some misconceptions about what it is to be a spiritual person. And I want to go into some of that. It's not how gifted you are or what experiences you've had. That's not what makes you a spiritual person. A common misconception among many people is the idea that if I just had certain gifts of the Spirit, then I would arrive at some kind of spiritual plane that would make me spiritual, whatever that means. The Corinthian church was a, was, seems to have been a rocking church. If any church had gifts and experiences, it had to be this one. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 4, 5, and 7. Here's what Paul says. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him in all word and all knowledge. Now skip down to verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any gift. They had the gifts. They had all the gifts. Were they a spiritual church? No way. They were decidedly not a spiritual church. Not practically. What gift were they lacking? No gift. Gifts do not spring you to a heightened spiritual level. You are not more spiritual because of a gift given you. The Holy Spirit is in the process of making us like the Lord Jesus in our conduct. Your gifting may be an impediment even to your progress in sanctification. 
If it produces in you pride and arrogance, you've allowed your flesh to destroy the good that God intends for the building up of his people. So your gift becomes an impediment because you become proud. I'm reading a very thick book right now. Um, I think the author's name is Drummond. Uh, uh, it's about the life of uh, Charles Spurgeon. Um, boy, what an amazingly gifted man. He, just he took the English Isles by storm. I mean, it was incredible how God used that man. People came by the thousands to hear him. From the, you know, the elite to the low class. And yet, the author in this book brings out how humble he was. Humility. Because that great gifting can turn against him and become a great impediment. But in his case, God used him greatly. So gifting, God's gifts that he gives us as in the church, um, were to use for the good of the people of the church. And uh, not become proud. It can, be, it can destroy us. Also, there's special experiences. Some people think, well, if I just had this certain experience, I would attain spirituality. Experiences then become the key and the desired goal. And so I want to examine this a little bit. I'm going to give you three illustrations of experiences, and we'll just look at them and see what they produce. The first one is found in Numbers chapter 22. This is an example of a man who had some tremendous experiences. To give you just an idea of what's going on, Balak, the king of Moab, wanted Balaam to come curse Israel so that he could defeat Israel and drive them out. This is before Israel went into the promised land. He sent his emissaries to Balaam. And we read in Numbers 22, verses 7 and following, so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian went away with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke Balak's words to him. And he said to them, Spend the night here, and I will bring word back to you as Yahweh may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. And then I'm skipping down to verse 12. And God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Well, I'm just going to make it a, a long story short. King Balak did not take no for an answer. And he sent another more honorable delegation. And here's what took place. Down in verse 18. And Balaam replied to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything, either small or great, to trespass the command of Yahweh my God. Now that sounds good so far. So now, please, you also stay here tonight, and I will know what else Yahweh will speak to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. You know, I'm not really sure of all the things that are going on in here, but 
just so that we realize God did not want him to go with him. He was going against. Balaam saw the gold. He saw the silver. <laughs> and his fleshly desires went for that. So here's what happened. Here's the bombshell that followed. Verse 22. But God was angry because he was going. Now notice the experiences that Balaam has had. God spoke to him a couple times. Would that be an experience that you would uh, consider to be pretty, pretty heavy duty? Oh, yeah. Not only that, but as you continue to read this story, an angel with a drawn sword appeared to Balaam's donkey, causing it to stop, even though Balaam beat it, and finally the donkey simply lay down. And God caused the donkey to actually hold a conversation with Balaam. <laughs> here's, here's what happened. I, and down in 31, verse 31. Then Yahweh opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of Yahweh standing in the way with his drawn sword. Notice that, drawn sword in his hand. That means he's ready to use it. He has his finger on the trigger, in other words. And he bowed his head down, prostrated himself to the ground, and the angel of Yahweh said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. And the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If it had not turned aside, I surely would have killed you just now and let it live. Did he have some experiences? <laughs> yes. God spoke to him. He experienced an angel. Not a very favorable experience. He had a Narnia experience when his donkey talked to him. If you know anything about the Chronicles of Narnia. The donkey actually saved his life. Was Balaam a spiritual man? Uh -uh. Massive experiences. Not a spiritual man. No. Did not please the Lord. Here's another example closer to home. Matthew 7 21 to 23, Jesus is speaking, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. He who does the will of my Father will enter. That sounds like spiritual living. Yeah, someone's living a spiritual life. Those that live a spiritual life, they're, they're going to enter. So what does this mean? This is a transformed life being lived. This is the judgment. What is the basis of entering the kingdom? Living a spiritual life, obeying God. Is this salvation by works? No. He's looking at the evidence of salvation. A transformed life. The spiritual life. Having the spirit. Those who are spiritual, who have the spirit, you know, we're going to live a spiritual life. Not perfect. By any means. That the Spirit of God is at work in us, producing spiritual fruit in our lives. And Jesus goes on and says this, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name, did we not prophesy? Yeah, that would be quite the experience. And in your name, cast out demons. And in your name, do many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Experiences? Yeah, I don't know exactly what all this involved. 
You know, they talk about casting out demons and prophesying and doing miracles. They had some kind of experience, but they weren't spiritual in the least. Now, let's get really close to home. If anyone was a champion of Christianity, it would be the Apostle Paul. Did he have experiences? Yeah, he did. He had some experiences. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us of an experience that was out of this world. He was caught up to the third heaven. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 12, 2-4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven, and I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up, this man was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. That's quite an experience. I don't know what it means when it says inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak, that God just say, Paul, don't even talk about this. Don't tell anybody about what you've just seen. I don't know. Maybe that's what happened. Amazing experience. Out of this world experience, literally. Now, my question is, did this make Paul a more spiritual person? No, not at all. This did not make Paul a a spiritual person. If anything... It tended to have the opposite effect upon him. And this relates to the issue that we talked about with Spurgeon a while ago. What is the tendency of the sinful human heart when he enjoys success or some great honor is given him? What's the tendency of our hearts? Pride, arrogance. That's the tendency. Pride and arrogance. The Lord knew that. Paul says this in verse 7 of chapter 2 Corinthians 12. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Hmm. To keep me from exalting myself. If he had exalted himself, that would have been the flesh, not the Spirit, not the hope from the Holy Spirit. So to keep me from exalting myself, what did God know about Paul? God knew Paul was made like you and me. (laughs) He knew exactly what Paul's temptation would be. Paul was a sinner. Paul could very well become conceited. Paul was not at some level of spirituality where he was above sin. This fantastic experience was liable to make him disobey God. I will continue reading from the passage. Because to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So, what does that mean? God gave Paul another experience, not a nice one. 
to keep him from becoming very unspiritual, to keep him humble, to keep him trusting only in God, keeping in step with the Spirit. He'd given him a great experience, and now he gave him a very humbling experience so that he would continue to keep trusting in God and not become proud. Paul says in Galatians 5.25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. And God was simply giving Paul another experience to bring him low. He really raised him up. I mean, he gave him great advantage, but then he brought him low so he'd keep, his, keep an even keel walking in step with the Spirit. Concerning living the Christian life, Paul walked the same road we do. Remember, he said, walk by the Spirit. Did that include him? Yes. In Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. Let us not become those with vain glory, challenging one another, envying one another. Notice that Paul includes himself. This is the way he does it. He is telling us to live in a certain way, and that's the way he does it. He also lived a spiritual life in as far as he received the word of God and obeyed. Are we receiving the word of God and obeying? Uh, we are spiritual by definition. If we know Jesus Christ, we have the spirit of God in us. Are we living that way? What is the goal of spirituality? It's to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Paul, uh, the Holy Spirit is at work in us to make us into the image of the Lord Jesus, to sanctify us. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. We are to be imitating Christ. For, uh, Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ. For to me to live is Christ. I should be living the way he lives. It is no longer I who live, he says in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And then in Ephesians 4.13. Until we all attain to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. To be like Jesus is the goal, and that does not come to us by some quick fix. It comes by a life of obedience to the Word of God. God wants Christians to live what they are, spiritual. That comes by walking step by step, receiving the Word of God, and obeying it. So here's, here's a little advice right at the end here. One author says this, nothing causes us to ignore God's truth more than not living it. Nothing causes us to ignore God's truth more than not living it. A sinning Christian is uncomfortable in the light of God's truth. He either turns from his fleshly behavior or he begins to block out God's light. And that's what we don't want to do. We don't want to be blocking out the light. We want to be receiving it and doing it. Secondly, don't seek spirituality in things that don't deliver the goods. If you think some experience is going to give you spirituality, then you run the danger of chasing 
an experience that won't deliver and instead drives you to seek another and another in an endless trail of frustration and all the while you are running away from the word of God where the answer has been all along. Walk by the Spirit. Get in the Word of God, receive it, obey it. Thirdly, in this day of an age when experience has become the unifying factor for many Christians, we must come to our senses, get back to the Bible, make its truths, its doctrine, that's doctrine, the teaching of the Word of God, make its truths the unifying factor once again. Without truth, you have nothing. There's a song that says this. It's called, Let Others See Jesus in You. I, I don't know if you've probably never heard this song, but I won't try singing it for you, but I will read the, the, the lyrics. While passing through this world of sin and others your life shall view, be clean and pure without within. Let others see Jesus in you. Your life's a book before their eyes. They're reading it through and through. Say, does it point them to the skies? Do others see Jesus in you? What joy to be at set of sun in mansions beyond the blue, to find some souls that you have won, let others see Jesus in you. Then live for Christ both day and night, be faithful, be brave and true, and lead the lost to life and light. Let others see Jesus in you. And then there's the, the chorus is, let others see Jesus in you. Keep telling the story. Be faithful and true. Let others see Jesus in you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your, your truth. Keeps us on an even keel. Keeps us on the path and not going astray. May, we, may you help us in our struggle in this life in overcoming our flesh, the world around us, and satanic opposition. And may we live a life that is spiritual, being what we are. We've asked for your help by your spirit that you may work this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.